welcome back for season two of the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you with tips and strategies to help you deepen your faith, build stronger relationships, and do the most with your life in Christ. Thank you for joining. Let's get started. Welcome back. I'm so glad you've joined today. Today's study really goes to the heart of what this entire podcast series has been about. We want to build better lives. We want to make the most of every day, and we want to do the best we can for Jesus. For me, this has always boiled down to not massive things, but little things. It really gets down to the ability to form and maintain good habits and also minimize and eliminate bad habits. If you and I have the ability to self-assess regularly, what are a few things that I need to be doing better? And then we put into place a strategy and accomplish that, anything is possible. The same for the other side of the coin. If you can self-assess regularly and say, you know what? There are a few things I'm doing I wish I was not doing, and you understood how to empower yourself to eliminate them, clearing space for better habits, the sky is the limit. So that is what today's episode will be about. I've been reading this particular book for a long time. It is quite dense, so I read it a small chapter at a time and then go back and read those chapters again. I'm still not halfway through this book, but I will go ahead and recommend it again. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and it's really good. He does an incredible job of getting to the heart of the way people think and how to change your own behavior. And right about the midpoint in that book, he hits on the number one indicator. If you take control of this one thing, you can advocate incremental and extraordinary change. But if we are not able or willing to take hold of this one element, everything else we try to do is hit or miss and usually ends up as a miss. I want to unpack some of that for you today, give you some practical things to think about. I will cite some examples and statistics from his book, add a few things of my own, and hopefully you will be able to utilize these things right here and now today. But I think I would like to begin with this. You may not be able to do it at this exact moment, but begin making two lists in your mind. I want you to make a list today of three habits you want to have, or at least you want to get better. Can you do that? Can you write down somewhere, type down somewhere, make a note of three things you either want to start doing because you know it's important or you want to do it more? And we're not just talking about once a week going to church. We're talking about a daily exercise, an ongoing life habit. You might be drawn to the negative list of habits to avoid, but start with the positive ones. I mean, it could be simple stuff like, I really wish I was reading a chapter in my Bible every day. Or I would like to see myself 
fill in that 30 minutes of exercise ring on my watch each day. It could be anything. You make your list, and you probably already know what they are. And then, of course, you need to do the same thing on the other side. List three habits you either want to severely minimize, make them less than daily habits or much smaller, and maybe even some things that you want to avoid altogether. I mean, for me, it's pretty easy. I want less time devoted to my phone. There are too many things going on on that device, too many distractions. We'll talk a bit about that today. Maybe for you, it's a list of things that need to go that just aren't right. Maybe it fits into the letter P category, like profanity at work, pornography in private, or the peppermint mocha latte at Starbucks. Though you may not have to deal with that one for another couple of months. So I will remind you of this at the end, making those two lists. And look, there are a thousand ways to go about that. But what James Clear notes, and I wholeheartedly agree, is that one thing you do will make more of a difference than anything else. And he builds it in this way. He says, listen, you have five senses, these receptors in your senses that take in information and it triggers things in you. Chemically, it triggers things. It triggers impulses, decisions, memories. And you know what those five senses are. Most of them are above your shoulders. What you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, and then, of course, the power of touch. We really could do an episode on all five of these. I was just thinking today about the power of smell. When my daughter Hannah and her fiancé get on one of those baking runs and I walk in the house in the evening and it's freshly baked, I don't even know what it is. I haven't seen it yet, but I smell it and I want it. And it's very hard not to eat carbs when that smell is filling the house. That kind of a thing. I would definitely need to eliminate that persistent aroma from my house if I was going to try to eat better. On the positive side, you could take another sense like hearing. If you wanted to think more spiritually throughout the day, you wanted to praise God more, what if you had a CD or something queued up on your phone for every time you got in your car for the rest of the week, you listened to psalms of praise? That would change everything because you would hear it and it would trigger things that were in accordance with what you wanted. So all of those would be good. But here is the argument that James Clear makes, and I agree. Of all of the receptors reading the environment in your life, the most potent of them all is sight. You have like millions of photoreceptors. They are reading the room. They are taking in the situation. Sometimes what you see triggers memories. Sometimes it triggers impulses or emotions or responses or habits. Some good and some bad. His argument is, until you are willing to design your environment to control and reorganize visual cues in your life, don't expect habits to change. I don't know where this crazy idea comes from that willpower is stronger than your environment, but I think that's complete hogwash. I mean, listen, you can rely on willpower for a while, but if you think you're going to have enough of that every day to overcome a constant barrage of visuals 
that are drawing you, that you are having a chemical reaction to, and you're just going to defeat that because of how much you love God, then you would be a fool. Even Jesus talks about this. In Matthew chapter 6, remember when he talked about the eye is the lamp of the body? He didn't say the ear or the nose or the mouth. He said the eye. If your eye is clear, environment, things you're seeing, cues around you, then your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is dark or darkness, what it sees is unlawful and you're surrounded by it. It's only a matter of time before you're dark all the way to the core. So what I want you to begin thinking about is how you can take better control of places where you spend the most time to create an environment for success. Design it, and I'll talk to you about how you do that, but make real architectural content changes that would make the three things you listed at the beginning you'd like to do more possible and easy and maybe even automatic. And that stuff that you're trying to stop doing, make it nearly impossible. Make it hard. Make it to where you would have to go out of your way to do it. And then the willpower has help and you can master those things. I hear people all the time quote 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the Lord will not give you more than you can handle, and with every temptation he will provide a way of escape. And sometimes I think people use that verse as an excuse not to change what's going on around them, and they just expect that God will open a door. Well, I've got news for you. God will open a door to another room, and you must leave that one and go to the next. In other words, redesign your environment. Change the visual impulses. That is a part of the wisdom of the Word of God. And as James Clear notes, who takes no biblical approaches in his documentation, it's just true of the way human beings operate. He mentioned a whole bunch of examples. I'll give you a couple of them. He talked about marketing in supermarkets and how they put the most profitable items at eye level down every aisle And the true big payers like Coca-Cola, they get the ends of the aisles, the area that you always see when you're walking from one to the next. Why do you think they do that? Because when you see it, you want it. When you see it, you think about it. You weren't in there to get a bunch of Coca-Cola, but there it is right in front of you, and it looks so good. The cheap stuff, the stuff that they don't make much money on, they put way up high or way down low, Because retailers believe that if you can't see it, you won't buy it, and they're right about that. And instead of looking for it, you may just go with that great feeling you just got when you saw that package of Oreos right in front of you. So it should come as no surprise to you that those particular products sell much, much more, even though they cost more than all of the other brands. But I want you to also think bigger here. I want you to think more in terms of deeply ingrained, very challenging habits. There was a study cited in the book about soldiers who had become addicted to drugs while in war. And those same men and women were tracked when they got back home with the expectation that addiction cannot just be kicked. And when they got back home, they would struggle with it for the rest of their lives. But it turned out only about 15% of those addicted while they were in war across the globe came home and carried it on. And yet, at the same time, people who get addicted in their home neighborhoods 
and then go to rehab and learn a better way and then head back into those neighborhoods, it's like 85 to 90% of them return to that addiction. What's the difference? Is it willpower? Is it character? Neither of those were cited as factors. The difference is all of the visual environmental triggers for drug abuse on the other side of the earth don't exist when you get back home. They can learn a new environment which isn't attached to the stimuli of drug abuse and they tend to do better unless they go and they search out environments for drugs. However, those who are learning it in their home neighborhood, around their friends, in their own homes, you can take them to a rehab facility and build a beautiful environment for success and they will make it until the environment changes back. Until they're at the same bar, at the same street corner, around the same people, and immediately they see it and they're inundated with it and they lose control. We could cite countless studies and give a plethora of examples, but I trust that you understand the point. You probably want to know, how can I use this information? So let's talk about that for the rest of our episode. We could start with the really simple stuff. If you want to eat apples and not Oreos, buy apples and take them home and not Oreos. You're changing your environment. If you must also buy Oreos, put the apples in a container, on the bar. Don't argue, well, they'll last longer in the freezer. They'll go bad in the freezer. Put them right there where they are the first thing you see when you're hungry, and if you must have Oreos, put them deep in the cupboard somewhere where you would have to go out of your way to get them. If you want to read your Bible more regularly and spend less time on the cell phone, when you get up in the morning, check the phone, then leave it there. Leave it in the bedroom. Take your Bible, take your journal, get your cup of coffee, and go to a space where there is no television remote and no cell phone, and just stay there. Stay there until you've done what you really wanted to do to begin with. We make this excuse that we cannot control our environment. I'm telling you, you can. You can control when you're in your car driving to work, whether your cell phone is sitting on your lap or it's behind you in the back seat where you cannot reach it. That simple environmental change will help you tremendously. When you start attaching the way you've set up the visuals around you with the way that you behave, there is no limit to how often you can use this. I was thinking about a couple of those peas from earlier. I won't talk about the peppermint latte. I actually really like those. But let me talk about a couple of really nasty things like bad language. Have you ever noticed that you don't curse at church? Environment? Visuals? but maybe you do on the golf course or at work. And you might say, I can't change the environment at work. I guess I will always fall victim to that. I believe that you can. I believe you can take a Bible with you and keep it on your desk. I believe you could hang out with a few people at work who have commitment to believing in Jesus and a little less with people who don't. And you think, well, those are just little changes. They aren't really addressing the problem. The problem is my willpower. Listen, much of the time, that's not true. You can have all the willpower in the world, but until you change the visual cues, then the darkness keeps seeping in. I was thinking about something serious like pornography. In our home, every device is coded. There are passwords on everything. My wife has all my passwords. I couldn't get into that at home if you gave me $1,000 to do so. Let me ask you, 
Does that mean I'm weak? If I was a stronger man, I wouldn't need that? I don't even need to know the answer to that question. I'm trying to create and design an environment for habitual success, for habitual godliness and purity, and make mistakes aberrations. Make them accidental things that sometimes happen, but I'm not preparing a place for them. Now, there's something really cool he talks about in the book that has helped me tremendously and I want to share with you, and that is the idea of creating one space for one thing. When one particular environmental space is attributed with one habit and it's not confused with other habits, good or bad, the chances you will do that thing when you are in that space are high, and the chances you will do something else is very low. For instance, there is a chair in my bedroom The only electrical thing near it is a lamp. It is not conveniently placed to view the television, which we do have in our bedroom, although maybe it would be good not to have that. But when I sit in that chair, that is my journaling and reading chair and coffee drinking chair. That is all that I do there. That's what it is for. I don't take my laptop over there. James Clear talked about how when he started a business, He did work on the couch, and he also hung out with his family on the couch, the same couch, the same spot, and he had a very difficult time sometimes dividing the two and transitioning from one to the other because when you have multiple habits associated with one location, you do the thing that's easiest in the moment, the thing that feels most natural even if it isn't the right thing. So he had to make a separation. The desk is a place for work and not play. The couch is a place for family and not work. This really works well. In fact, we have two couches in our living room, one of them perfectly placed before the television, one of them less so, and so I have made a distinction. One of the couches is for watching the Astros and watching Bon Appetit on YouTube or whatever, and the other one is for discussion with my family. And what's really cool is I can forget the habit sometimes, but when I sit down on that couch, I'm instantly reminded. Use the power of environment to your advantage. And I just have to tell you, whether it's the car or at work or at home on that couch or in that chair, we've got to get away from our cell phones. I know people tell me that they use them for Bible reading. They bring them to church for taking notes. Listen, your phone can do a thousand things, and that's the problem. When there are competing habitual choices in an environment, we tend to choose the easiest thing, even if it's not the best thing. And a lot of times, that's social media. So maybe we need to limit our opportunities in an environment. So listen, make a list of three things you want to do, make a list of three things you don't want to do, and then begin designing your environment. Make the good things easy, make the bad things hard, associate good habits with singular locations, and maybe you will learn, as I have, that you've had the willpower to do this all along. You just needed to design your environment. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the program, please remember to share with your family and your friends. Also, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for emails, order the three-month journals, or just catch up on old episodes. So until next time, let me leave you with this. Whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.